Hello, and thank you for joining the Aaron Werner podcast on iCode Media. We talked today with Dr. Peter Cass of Practice Compliance Solutions about remote billing or revenue cycle management. Talked about what the process is if somebody were to join with uh, PCS's revenue cycle management and uh, and remote billing process. Uh, some of the things to, to consider and to look forward to. I thought it was very interesting, some good insights. So of course we want to hear back from you. So please join the conversation by leaving a comment, sharing with a friend, and of course leaving a five-star review. Also be sure to support those who support us. Discovering the impact of life meter this year has been truly transformative for motivating my patients with macular degeneration to embrace carotenoid supplements. With this non-invasive device, we can now quantitatively show that supplements are working. Life meter assesses carotenoid concentration in the skin, reflecting fruit and vegetable intake, and indicating levels in other vital tissues like the retina and brain. Supported by over 30 peer-reviewed publications, LifeMeter's accuracy, consistency, and effectiveness have been validated in 2,000 subjects of varying background. What's more, it offers the flexibility to prescribe the best-suited products for each patient. My patients love knowing their numbers and witnessing improvements in as little as a month. Better yet, compliance with carotenoid supplements has surged, doubling our sales of MacuHealth since the LifeMeter's implementation. All right, Dr. Peter Cass with Practice Compliance Solutions, and we're going to talk today about uh, well, about how we get our money because we do a lot of work, but it's important to get paid for that work. I am not a nonprofit. Uh, I don't know, uh, Peter, if uh, if you're a nonprofit, but I've got lots of bills to pay, some student loans, some kids to put through college. So I definitely uh, want to make sure that we get paid appropriately for the services that we do in the practice. And uh, as one of the leaders in that, I want to pick your brain on what what that process looks like. Certainly we'll talk about practice compliance solutions who you're with, but what um, remote billing looks like, uh, a third-party billing. I think in historically we've always done it out of the practice, or most offices have. I know when I bought out dad, my mom was our primary biller. And uh, we grew and grew and got to the point where we said, hey, I think especially for our medical billing, we need, we need to outsource this. There's professionals that do this a little bit better than we can. And we want to make sure it's, it's done and it's done right. And the cost of, of outsourcing it um, certainly outweighs the cost of, of keeping it in-house. But there's a lot to it, I think, more than just, hey, I'm outsourcing my billing. Right? I'm not just calling you up and saying, hey, start billing for me. Is that how this yeah. works? Absolutely. And, and you brought up a good point, too, that, you know, we're, we're all in this um, to make money. You know, number one, we're in this to help people, um, to help our patients. And Joe and I founded PCS to help our colleagues. Uh, but as a practice, you know, you have to be profitable and you have to generate revenue so you can pay employees and buy new equipment and grow the practice and help more people. Yep. Yep. And, and to that point where you know, making money is not a bad thing. Uh, you you can't help people if you don't make uh, if you don't make money. I think as long as you're doing it appropriately and professionally and with integrity, there is nothing wrong with with making money to take care of your families, your team's families, and reinvesting back in the practice, like you said, to to help people. Yeah. So let me ask. Go ahead. Uh, oh, yeah, I was going to say a lot of times um, profit gets a, a bad name, 
and it can sometimes be a bad word, but when staff realize that, you know, from profit, you can buy more equipment for the office, you can give raises to staff, you can hire more staff, you can reinvest in a practice. And so, so profit is a really, really good thing in a business and especially in practices that actually, you know, share that profit back with their staff. Yep. 100%. So let's talk about, um, as we dive into, to, uh, outsource billing, what are some of the reasons that you guys hear when a practice calls you and says, I'm interested in, in outsourcing my billing? What, what brings them to that point? Yeah, one of the biggest reasons we probably get a phone call is a biller quits. And, <laughs> and they're kind of in a jam. And so, un- unfortunately, you know, PCS, we founded the company to try to help people because uh, Joe was on a third-party committee, an LNL committee for the Texas Optometric Association, as was I. And I was also on the Health Information Technology Committee. And we were constantly getting phone calls from people in trouble and having problems. And so that was one of the founding reasons for the company was to try to prevent problems with compliance stuff. But also Joe and I both had a lot of experience in billing. He's a Medicare auditor, I'm a Medicaid auditor. And we tried to bring that experience in as well. We had connections in the billing world. And we're also trying to keep people out of trouble there. We do a lot of lecturing on proper billing, but even with all that, we unfortunately still have clients who call us, you know, and they've gotten themselves in a jam and sometimes, you know, not their fault, just they, they had somebody they thought was doing a good job and they investigated and found out it was terrible. They find that their AR is out of control. They're, you know, lost an employee. And, and a few times it's they're thinking about making a change. You know, maybe the business is growing, maybe they need some help. Uh, but but uh, unfortunately, a lot of the calls are, you know, help, help get us out of this problem. Yep, which really uh, I think should be the, the mantra of PCS overall. I know you've got a lot of clients that you're working with like us that are proactive, but I, I'm assuming there's probably a lot more that call when the fires hit and-, and Yeah, yeah, you, you know, we kind of want to do fire prevention, but un- unfortunately, we end up being firemen a lot of times. Yeah. No, totally understand that. So, and uh, and I think I would probably not be too far outside of that if our biller decided that uh, that she quit, or as I like to think of it, when she hits the uh, Mega Millions lottery and and tells me she's done and is sitting on a beach drinking something. Yeah, it would. With it a would never. Cup. It would never be that she got tired of you. It would. No. It would have to be a lottery win. No, she might have something different to say on that, but yeah. So, um, so, so, so I, I find myself, uh, you know, my biller quit or, um, or we found that they thought they were doing a good job and, and maybe, um, you know, maybe they're doing their best and they weren't, or, uh, you know, hopefully there wasn't fraudulent happening. Um, my guess is also, we're just expanding so quickly that I need to, to stay on top of the billing and we just can't do it in house anymore. That's that's an another big reason is as a practice grows or as practice changes, you know, sometimes when a, a practice grows, they'll decide that, you know, one employee has been doing two or three jobs and they're really good at a specific job and it would be better to move them into that specific job and break their job up into multiple pieces. And that's a, a really good way for practices to grow. And that is another reason that we get uh, revenue cycle management clients. So perfect. So let's walk through the process. Uh, so somebody calls you, I call you up and say, Hey, I think uh, I'm interested in your services for, uh, for RCM revenue cycle management, outsource billing. What's the next step? 
one of the very first things that we're usually going to want to do is a, a chart audit and very often we'll want to connect this the staff with with one of our auditors who will go through their records and we do what we call training audits we basically have a practice send us 20 charts for each doctor mm -hmm. and then our auditor will go through those charts in in a very mean kind of way um, because <laughs> we we want to catch it because if we catch it we're going to tell you okay this is how you fix it if an auditor catches it they're going to ask for your checkbook and want you to write them a check and we've seen some pretty nasty demands for payment um, and in fact we've even seen some crazy stuff one of the uh, vision plans audited a good friend of ours and found that he was not at fault and then sent him that everything was good he passed the audit didn't know any penalties or fines didn't find anything wrong and then they sent him a bill for the audit um, which Probably. <laughs> I thought was pretty nasty so um, you might be able to guess which vision plan that was, but um. yes, the, the nameless were remained unnamed. Um, but uh, but no, ha ha staying on top of that's important, and it, it's interesting how professional athletes all have coaches and trainers. You yeah, know, Tiger Woods has his own. Michael Jordan has his own. Um, but how many of us in in medicine, you know, as doctors, have somebody that we pay to look over our shoulder to say, "Hey, am I doing this right, or can I can I do it better?" And I'm guessing during your, your chart audits, um, as you said, they probably can be a little bit painful. For optometry, do you find that we, we for the most part, do a good job, that we're out of whack, that we're – what are some of the big things you typically see during it, those audits? It's interesting. We – Joe and I see kind of a, a bimodal distribution. And so there's lots of practices that are just doing some ridiculous things we've seen – uh, we, we did a chart audit on one practice and uh, virtually every patient that came in was getting every possible glaucoma test. You know, if it was a healthy 16-year-old girl with low pressures, but her mom's cousin was a glaucoma suspect, then, you know, the girl needed uh, color vision testing and OCT and ex um, extended oscomoscopy and um, serial tonometry and visual fields and just every three months um, and so you know we've seen some really crazy cases like that and I and I, I probably exaggerated about the familial connection but that was literally one of the charts that we saw it was like a healthy 16 year old with normal pressures and some non-nuclear family member had uh, glaucoma and so they were doing uh, massive testing every three months and then the flip side of that is we see doctors that provide really good care and will downcode it to you know level three or level two just because they don't want to get audited and have to give the money back and so it becomes this really funny distribution curve where there's a lot of people underbilling and a lot of people overbilling and that that middle of kind of the sweet spot of correctly billing um, is is kind of the the lowest area of the distribution curve hmm. that is interesting I know we do this every couple of years, and um, and thankfully the feedback we've gotten, we were on that you know underbilling side, mm -hmm. um, not a ton, but and we but look for that too enough to be you know a, a statistically significant that we were underbilling. Um, we were told that we could have been a little bit clearer in how we ordered tests. It was clear that we were ordering them, but I, I we were you know walked through on how we could be a little bit more more intentional in the charts on on making sure that we were. We were ordering them, um, 
but uh, but it did feel good to know that that overall we would you know we would have passed a, uh, a an audit and that you know gave us more confidence to feel better about bumping that level three up to a level four or the occasional level fours up to the uh that qualified as a level mm. five yeah and and we find that for the most part people are or doctors are you know very honest with their billing and they're trying to do a good job and they're really trying to take care of the patients and mm -hmm. and we don't see you know a whole lot of just really egregious stuff it's it's usually just simple mistakes and and it's kind of funny too because there's probably you know we have a list of about 25 28 kind of mistakes that we see over and over and over and every time we audit a practice they'll be making you know three to five of those mistakes but it's different for every practice okay. and so it's kind of funny like with 20 charts and on chart one you did you know number one thing wrong and on chart two you did number five thing wrong and on chart three you did number one thing wrong and on chart four number five <laughs> thing wrong and so it's you know they keep picking the same two items off the list and repeating those mistakes over and over um, and it's uh, but there are you know a lot of common things that we see over and over with these chart audits oh i'm sure but i love that you start with that so let's let's start on the same page let's start speaking the same language having the same understanding and then, uh, so you go through the, the 20 chart audits uh, per doctor, and I'm assuming that's a mix of uh, annual eye exam, you know, routine exams and, and medical exams and everything. Yeah, and we ask them not to cherry pick that too. You know, we want it to be a pretty typical day. You know, if you see, you know, 80% vision in a day and 20%, um, you know, medical, maybe we'll shift it a little more medical. So we're, you know, looking at some medical charts. Um, but we do, you know, if you see a mix of vision pairs, we want to see a few from each of those. And a mix of medical pairs, we want to see um, a few from each of those. And we mostly want to see the medicals because those are the more complicated ones, obviously, to document and code and bill properly. And and we kind of want it to be, you know, what a typical day might be, except with slanted a little bit towards the medical. And then we want them not to try to go back and, oh, I think I did this one really good. Let me turn this one in we want them to send us the ones that you know that a they haven't looked at or b they're questioning did i do this one right or not because it's as i said earlier it's better for us to find the mistakes because we're going to be nice about it and say here's how you fix this versus an auditor who is going to say that um that you know you owe us some money do you have your checkbook handy yeah well and, and the, the third angle on that is you're gonna you're gonna show me how i can make more money because i've already done the work i'm just not collecting what I what I'm owed properly. That's and always the the final page, the best page of our our chart audit is is skip down to the last page. Here's how you make some more money. Uh, but you also got to pay attention to the 19 other pages before that that <laughs> kind of detail detail how to fix things too. So, and it's it's not that we find that many mistakes. It's that that we're literally analyzing every single chart and looking for every single thing wrong with every single chart because we we want to make sure that it's a good teaching experience and a good learning experience for the office and the staff yeah well and that's what we want to so we're, we're on the same page there so we i call you i say hey i'm interested in in revenue cycle man revenue cycle management mm -hmm. and um and outsourcing billing you you collect 20 charts from each of my docs we go through it we review it uh, we talk about how we can we can do better what's the next step from there 
We, and you know, this is all assuming, you know, that somebody's talked to the head of our billing department because we have one person who's kind of a gatekeeper and, you know, they'll talk um, rates and they'll talk the practice mix and we, and we're already kind of thinking about matching somebody because we have uh, lots of billers and they have uh, various experience with different EHR systems. So, you know, if somebody's a, a big practice, heavy medical that uses crystal. Well, we've probably got a biller who is who fits that profile, and and so we'll kind of match them up. If we've got somebody that's a smaller practice and mostly vision and uses iFinity, well, we've got somebody that probably matches that as well. And so we we do we go through kind of a matching to find the right biller combination for them, and and we assign each person um, a a biller, and then that's kind of their partner. We're not gonna it's not you know, and, and generic employee working in their account. It's basically a partner working in their account. So that's their biller. And the next step after that um, would be, we're, we're often going to do an accounts receivable audit as well. So then one of the, after one of the doctors does a, a chart audit, one of the billers is going to do an accounts receivable audit. And that one is actually kind of fun because usually we're going to get some money in quick for practice because as you remember a lot of these practices are calling us because their builder quit or billing got out of hand or their ar went way high or you know um, they've grown and their builder couldn't keep up and so a lot of times there's an ar there and they're calling us a lot of times before a cutoff where they're going to start to lose money and we can usually get in there with somebody who's dedicated to it and very good at it and build a lot of that out i want to say our um, one of our clients, we did an AR audit for them, and we had like 350000 extra for them um, within like 60 days um, just because they were so far behind. And it was a big practice, to be fair, but they were so far behind in their billing, and, um, and we, we really got them a lot of money in um, initially. Most of the accounts, it's more of a cleanup, um, mm-hmm. but almost everybody's going to make it. it it is going to make a little money off of that process. They're usually nervous and worried about that, but usually they end up making a little bit of money off of that process. Nice. Well, I can, I can certainly appreciate how it's nervous to, uh, I mean, look, I, I, I'm inviting you in to do business and I feel like that, you know, we're getting really naked real quick when you're looking at my charts, you're auditing my charts. Now you're looking at my account receivables. Um, and, and chances are you're not going to, you know, give me a high five and say, Hey, you're doing fantastic. You're going to tell me, where the warts are and and yeah. and whatnot. Um, yeah, most most people look forward to those two things about as much as going to the dentist <laughs> or the proctologist. It's just not. Neither of those are fun, and both are very invasive and uncomfortable. So, yeah. but once you get past it, um, as as has been and, and my experience, it, and you're on the way to good health. Yeah, and it was never as bad as I thought. Yeah, I and mean, I'm sure in some cases it could be, but it's it's you know my experience was it wasn't as bad. I came out a little bit more excited. I came out optimistic on where we're going to go. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's really easy, easy to get behind in all that because, you know, today's to-do list gets pushed to tomorrow, oh, yeah. gets pushed oh, yeah. to next week. And, and by the end, you know, you've got a big old stack that you feel overwhelmed with. So cool. So we do the chart audit. We do the AR audit. And uh, now we're up and running. What's next? We, um, we usually, if we, if we haven't gotten to it by this point, we're usually going to need to set up some sort of remote connection. And mm-hmm. so that could be uh, a VPN, virtual private network. That's probably our, 
are preferred and it, it has some advantages and disadvantages uh, but it's it's often our preferred or a remote desktop connection RDP and um, or RDC remote desktop protocol remote desktop connection with either of the and those people are probably more familiar with like uh, go to my PC and log mm -hmm. me in and services like that um, those can be HIPAA compliant and secure um, but we generally need to set one of those up and and it generally needs to be a computer that a client doesn't have to use you obviously don't want the biller trying to use the front desk computer while somebody's trying to make scheduling yeah. then two of them fighting over a computer which is another reason that a vpn is good because you're not you're just remoting into the network you're not remotely controlling somebody's uh, computer um, and so it, but sometimes with uh, software programs the the uh, VPNs can run a little slower than like a remote desktop so there, there's advantages and disadvantages but we need we need to get that set up we also generally want to have a point person as well you know we're gonna assign somebody from our staff to be the biller for the office not a biller but the biller and then we we need somebody in the office to be the person that communicates with them because when we're going to have questions and we're going to need uh, data and EOB sent back to us. And so there needs to be a kind of a key contact in the office for that. Got it. And, uh, and I like that. I think it's important. You brought up two things that uh, we may have glossed over, but one is making sure that we're a right fit mm -hmm. and for on expectations and that you've got the right person that understands our software because Lord knows all optometry software isn't the uh, isn't the easiest to navigate through, and our PM systems aren't the easiest. Uh, they um, and we've all are using them differently. Some are cloud based, some are server based, um, and so so making sure that that you know we're we're connected to the right people, we're we're bringing on the right teams, um, and, uh, and both from our end and from your end, I think that's critically important. Yeah, and you, you mentioned cloud-based. That may be the easiest one because that just involves adding another user. Um, now, sometimes we'll, we'll still need to get access to EOBs, and, and we do that a couple different ways. Um, those can be um, mailed to us. They can be um, saved, scanned and saved to a folder on a computer that we have access to in the office, or they can be scanned and emailed securely. We have uh, secure email. So there, there's several different ways that we, we can get those. But um, even in a, a cloud-based system, you know, we still got to get a hold of those EOBs so we can make the posting correctly. Yep. Yep. And a couple of times you've mentioned uh, securely and, com you know, HIPAA compliant, compliant, and I would expect nothing less from PCS. Yeah, we, we that is important. If, if, if <laughs> that's our bread and butter is compliance, we've got to make sure that our billing service is compliant too. Absolutely, and then uh, so once that gets set up, uh, what's the uh, what's the process? We usually kind of get into a, a rhythm at that point. The the billers are going to batch out the claims, and then the EOBs are going to arrive at the office, and a staff member at the office is either going to upload those or email those or, or get them to us in some form, and then the builder's going to go in and post those out, and then that, that cycle just kind of continues, and the, the next step in the cycle is at the end of the month, we're going to generate a report and show what's been billed and get that report uh, pretty quickly after the end of the month to, to the office so that um, they can see what's billed and you know how much they're going to, to owe for the services. 
and and then the you know cycle just continues. Then we're gonna you know build some more and post some more and um, and report on on what's been done, just round and round and round. I like it. So going back to the the chart audits, once we're up and running. Or mm-hmm. is that something that gets redone frequently? Does that get just spot checked? Do you, do you look to go back and do audits down the line? We, we, we generally do. We usually recommend doing it about once a year or, you know, especially if you bring in a new doc or if something changes. And Medicare's fraud and abuse program uh, generally expects you to do chart audits about once a year. And you, you can self-audit. You can, you can, and one of the ways a practice could do that is maybe especially if there's more than one doctor in the practice is they could each take a look at each other's charts and try to find problems or you could have the office manager review uh, the doctor's charts or the doctor review the billing that the billing clerk did and and so there's ways that that each party that that you can do them you know on your own Mm -hmm. Uh, but uh, pcs generally does them about once a year if we're going to do them for a client very cool. And do you find that those improve over time? Yeah, we do. It, it is kind of rewarding to do a chart audit on a client and and then go back a year later and do a chart audit and go, oh, look, they actually listened. <laughs> They're doing it right now. It, uh, you know, it feels good. It feels good. Yeah. Yeah. Even old dogs can be taught new tricks. No, it yes. definitely feels good when uh, when, when you know, we see improvement. It also feels good when you are improving because that usually means we're making more money. Yep. And, and money that we should be have, have gotten um, to begin with, I think it's important to, to consistently remember that we're not making anything that's, you know, we're not charging anything fraudulent. We're always billing appropriately for our services, but, uh, but you know, we are doing work. We should be paid for that. Yeah, and I, I think uh, a, a lot of people really do and tend to do that, you know, just in the the day-to-day of running a practice and you know they went to a lecture and heard something and and wanting to make sure that they get the most money that they can in you know sometimes they get a little bit off course or they you know again heard something on a webinar that they thought was supposed to be right and and that's where we find a lot of the errors is just you know people go to a lecture go to a webinar and they they hear something that a lot of times is somebody's opinion and and hasn't been backed up mm-hmm. and and they then kind of get themselves into trouble yeah it works and you know i mean i could i could um i could show you how to bill for the cataract surgery itself which pays a whole lot better than cataract co-management um and you'd get paid for a little while in fact we, in fact we we actually had that happen with a client um once um, a, a client was having some trouble with getting paid on co-management claims, and so the client, um, the client just started playing around with the way they were billing it, oh, no. and and oh, started no. finally getting paid. And to be fair to the client, there is um, th- there's not a whole lot of uniformity that can vary from with Medicare from jurisdiction to jurisdiction, it, and it certainly varies with the medical payers and. And so sometimes you have to, you, you kind of have to play around with it a little bit. Okay, if I put the modifier here, or if I use, you know, this mm-hmm. data, and to, to get it where they like it. There's some standard rules on that, but a lot of times to get it where the payer likes it, you just have to play around with it. And, and they had played around with it a little bit too much. And they said, yeah, we're finally getting paid. And they shared a claim with us, and they were billing for the cataract surgery and getting paid for the cataract surgery. Not the co-management of the surgery, but the surgery itself. 
and that's all good until an auditor shows up and then that's really bad yes which brings i'm glad you brought that up um, because i've heard from personally from people that we've talked to and and i've seen it on some of the social media groups you know i got paid and because I got paid, obviously I did something right because I think it, it, in our mind, I know at least I thought this once, whenever we submitted a claim, somebody read it and made sure that it was correct. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I've come to learn that's not the case. They just, they get paid out. They get paid out until somebody decides to go back and, and audit and, and you either pass with flying colors or that opens up a whole can of worms. Yeah. And it's, it, it's changing a little bit because it used to be kind of post-payment audit. Uh, was the main method that payers used is they would look at they would look at claims to see it, they would look at claims after the fact to see if they needed to take some money back and in a way it's good that they've kind of switched more to prepayments with data analytics they're able to look at claims and look for things that look weird as the the claims come through and so with that they're able to kind of find problems sooner and the double edge of the other edge of that sword is that they're going to cut off payments and say wait a minute this looks weird we're going to stop paying you just period and then you've got to prove that you're actually billing it right before they'll turn on the payment system again so it's in some ways it's better because you're not going to get have to give them a whole lot of money back after the fact but in some ways it's worse because they're they're going to cut off payment to you but but they are looking for discrepancies and and things like that and basically anything that stands out draws attention to the to yourself and draws their attention and and a lot of times it may not be you know a problem it it could be something as simple as like a, a patient uh, optometry practice that does a whole lot of glaucoma we you know a few of us know optometrists that mm-hmm. basically their whole practice is medical and you know if you're if you're an OD that you're a referral point to a lot of other ODs in the area you may be doing 10 20 times as much diagnostic testing for glaucoma as the other ODs around you and the software will pick up on that and and you know, say, hey, this person's billing a whole lot of these tests. And so there's not anything wrong with that. Uh, but unfortunately, that will um, catch the attention. So. Well, that, that makes sense. Now, if I'm working with you and we're, are you looking for, is your systems looking for any sort of missed billing before it gets submitted? Or is there any sort of uh, a review or second set of eyes on things? We're generally trying to, that's the, the big part of the billing audit because it's, it, and the chart audit is because it's really hard to catch that during the process, which is why we want to get that right from the beginning. And while we go back and check periodically is it, it's really hard for a biller to catch that because, you know, the biller's just seeing codes on a sheet. You know, they're seeing that, you know, there was this ICD code billed with this CPT code and okay, yes, that's proper and that can go through they'll catch some weird stuff the you know the the billers will see certain things they're like well this is out of normal this shouldn't be this way and and can can certainly deal with that but um but they're not going to be able to you know catch documentation errors generally and and they're not going to be able to you know catch upcoding problems or you know uh, things of that nature and so unfortunately you've you as a as a uh, practice owner and as a doctor in the practice uh, 
documenting and coding and, and sending those claims to billing have to make sure that they're going out correctly. Gotcha. That makes sense. So the, the whole process is important. Yep. So, perfect. Now, are you guys, uh, for the remote billing RCM, are you doing mostly medical, medical uh, billing? Are you doing uh, vision plan? Are you doing both? We do both, but most patients, or most patients, most practices um, want us to do, want us to do the medical for them because most of the vision is pretty straightforward, mm-hmm. and the, the real kicker with vision is at the time the practice orders materials, they generally have to file for the exam. A lot of the vision plans are set up that way. When you order the eyewear for the patient, you're also putting in the billing for the exam for the patient. And so we do some, we have, we have practices where we do everything for them. We have practices where we do just their vision. And then we have practices, the majority where we do just their medical. Gotcha. So there is flexibility. And I think that's, uh, that's good. What else do we need to know about if we're considering looking at a an RCM management, uh, remote billing. Um, you know, what do you think as far as if we're looking to, uh, to to work with you or a different company? What are the, some of the things that we should be looking for? Should be asking? Should be expecting? Um, <clears throat> you want to when you're talking to a company, you want to know if um, what their specialty is because optometry is is weird. And we have some contacts in the dental world as well, and dental billing is weird too. Those two professions are the ones where, you know, a patient can come in for one thing and it can turn into something different, you know, where they they come in with one expectation of, oh, this is going to go to my vision plan or dental plan. And then they come in and they have some sort of medical problem that needs to, to be billed that way. And then there's also always that issue of, you know, is this visit, um, is this a is this a wellness visit or is this a medical visit, and and so so that can make it a little that can make it a little difficult, and then just eye care in general is is kind of weird. You know, if you if you talk to um, ER docs, uh, I've talked to a few of them, and and most of them would rather somebody come in not breathing or their you know heart not beating than come in with an eye problem because at least they know what to do with it, and. Um, and and that's I have a lot of respect um, for ER docs, and I've got you know some friends who are ER docs, but I mean they generally don't like to mess with eyes because it's just so different, and all the billing is so different as well. And so it's important that your your billing partner really knows that well and is somebody that actually has experience in that. And that is one of the one of the biggest things that we struggle with as a a company is finding really good talent in the billing department and we're we're pretty much always um, hiring billers Um, we're almost always hiring because as because we kind of we also want to grow ahead of that as well we want to make sure that we have capacity to bring on new clients and that that we're not going to put somebody with a employee who just has too many clients and is not going to get the attention they need so that that's another thing that's an important and then to us um, US base is important as well we really want we, we don't like we don't like the idea of outsourcing in uh, certain aspects um, you know it's funny 
we've um, recently did a meeting with the TOA in Round Rock, Texas, and one of the exhibitors there was a company called um, uh, Teen, T-E-E-M, mm -hmm. and two E's M, and they they do remote workers and are actually and they actually work really well in certain aspects of the business. And uh, we had just some really good conversations with them, but. It, remote workers can do really well in certain aspects of business, like answering the phone and data entry and stuff like that. But there are other areas where it's just really hard to get to get a remote worker who kind of really knows the ins and outs of the business. And there's lots of remote medical billing, but very little of that remote medical billing has in-depth knowledge in the eye care industry. And that's that's something that's real important to us. And I can appreciate that. Uh, somebody told me once that optometry was the single most complicated uh, healthcare entity from a billing standpoint. And I haven't looked at all of them, but all my friends that are dental or, or I do have friends in ER and ortho and whatnot. And they've, they've all uh, told me that their, their billing was a whole lot less complicated than ours when I've walked them through what we have to look at doing. Yeah, I, I, I think so. And one of the things that, that probably demonstrates that, I, I think the the AMA and um, and CPT would agree with that because we're the only profession that has its own set of exam codes. Like, there's not a you know a routine cardiological exam or you know a, or a routine orthopedic exam. Those you know are comprehensive orthopedic or a, a comprehensive gastrointestinal, those don't exist. They use the the E&M codes, the you know, level one to level five codes. Everybody else in every other health uh, specialty uses the E&M codes. And then ophthalmology and optometry have these two breakout codes. So, you know, even the AMA and CPT acknowledge, okay, you guys are weird. You need your own codes. <laughs> yeah, we are definitely a uh, weird in a good way. Yes, much. absolutely. So, well, that's interesting. The uh, so making it uh, U.S. based and, and knowledgeable. What about the ROI? Um, I'm running a practice. I'm a practice owner. I say, well, I, why am I going to pay you to do something? I've got you know Mary who works for me. Mary's great. She can do it. Um, you know, let's say we're paying Mary you know, thirty bucks an hour, and uh, yeah, I don't want to also have to pay a third party to do something. What's the ROI look like on outsourcing? That's an interesting question, and I, I think there's probably really two answers to that. Number one is if you've got Mary doing it and Mary's great, let us do a chart audit and an AR analysis, and Mary really may be great, and we'll and we'll tell you to keep her. And we've actually done that with clients. Um, you know, they're like, we think we like who we've got. Would you take a look? And we have, and we're like, yeah, your your person is really on top of it. You've got a good one. Make sure you treat them right and pay them well, and don't lose them. And if you do, give us a call. Um, the kind of second piece of that is is most practices aren't going to have you know a Mary who's really great at it. We see tons who do, um, but most practices really aren't going to have a Mary who's great at it. And in a scenario like that, you're typically spending if you're doing billing in-house, you're typically spending eight percent of every dollar you bring in on the biller on somebody to bill that for you at least that's kind of the floor if you've got somebody in-house doing it um, and then our billing ranges from about five to seven percent of collection and usually is in about the six percent range um, it'll with really big practices it becomes more efficient to bill mm -hmm. 
And so when we're doing a high volume, that number can go down um, sometimes into the fives. And then practices where we're doing just a really small amount, often that, that number can will end up going up a little bit. Got it. What I like, too, that you are talking about how uh, uh, we're paid on collection, right? So you're not paying somebody to, to not be there or to yes. not be, be working. They're working, but you know, you're paying on, on what they're doing. Yeah, many of the billing companies, the philosophy is, you know, we did the work, we sent this claim off, you know, too bad it didn't get paid. And our philosophy is, if you've got a good biller, and they're properly sending the claim, it's going to be paid. And so we're, we're going to collect a very high percent of what we bill out. And then we're going to, we're going to only charge a percentage of what we actually build. No, I uh, I like that. It's an interesting stat on the eight percent for the in-house. The uh, and I think it's important for me to make a note here. Um, my office manager and biller is fantastic. I'm not looking to replace her right now. So her <laughs> name is not Mary, but if she's listening, um, I was not not referencing her by any means. Um, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. We <laughs> we um, we do we do find there are lots of people who have really good really good billers and. You know, especially if, if it's a good doc who knows their billing and coding and who's trained them, or, you know, if they got them from a, a really good practice, a, a lot of times there's there's opportunity for optometry to get really good personnel from ophthalmology because the, the ophthalmology in general is a little better about training their techs and their billers especially. But at the same time, the hours uh, can be a lot worse in ophthalmology. And there's opportunity for optometrists to hire away from them and, and bring, in, bring in really qualified people and, and give them a little bit better, better work week, better work hours, and, and get some really good people. And so we, we see that quite a bit. And, and you know, if, we're not, if we're not a great fit, we're going we're gonna to tell people because, again, we're you know, number one, we want to help people. Right. So, no, I think that's, uh, that, that's critically important. We're helping people and you, you're looking to get the right people and making sure that you're getting the, the, the best ROI for your dollar. And, um, and what I really like, uh, again, not happening in my office anytime soon because my <laughs> office manager is fantastic, but I've, we've looked at, at virtual assistants and I want to make sure the people we have in the office are free to work with the patients that are in the office. Yes. And I think it's critically important that when somebody's there, they're available to the people who are there. There's, there's nothing worse than wanting to talk to somebody, seeing somebody, you know, as a, as a customer, seeing employee working on a computer or on a phone and not willing to help me. I don't know what their job is. I just know that they're not helping me and I'm here and should be, should be served. So I want to make sure that, uh, at least my philosophy is trying to open up the opportunities for the, the team I have in the office to be w able to work with the patients who are in the office. Yeah, and the, uh, I totally agree with you. The golden rule applies. With, you always want to think about your practice. And, and this is something that I, I teach to my uh, practice management students at U of H as well, is you, you want to treat patients like you want to be treated. And PCS mm -hmm. has that same philosophy with clients. Like we want to treat clients how we want to be treated. There's no contract and there's no, you know, early termination fees or anything like that. If we're doing a good job for you, great. We hope to keep you forever. If 
you know, somebody in your office gets trained along the way. And, and sometimes we end up inadvertently training staff. That key contact that we work with gets better and better and better at billing. And sometimes the doctor will come to us and go, you know, we, we think she can really handle it at this point. And we're like, okay, that's great. And because our number one goal is just to help people. And and if, if helping somebody means training somebody for them, that's sometimes inadvertently what we do. The, we also have lots of people who've been with us just a really long time and will probably um, never leave. And one of the points you brought up is there's some things that have to be done in the office and some things that don't. It, you know, it's really hard to remotely greet somebody. It's really hard to remotely pretest somebody, really hard to remotely uh, refract somebody, although <laughs> there's companies out there trying to get into that space. And, uh, and, and, but there are things that are really easy to remotely do recall and um and uh, accounting and billing of course and so there, there's lots of areas where you certainly can use a remote assistant and and pcs um, is, is even doing that we um we're using uh, we're, we're actually getting a research assistant for joe as the you know practice grows and expands mm-hmm. and, and joe's got to joe and i got to keep up with all these laws and you know joe's got to research it and find it and give it to me to put in the app and uh, we're actually finding that there are areas where, where we can use remote people too um, but, but we're just strongly resistant to bringing that into the to the billing side um, it's it's definitely a change i you know it's uh so i'm a fifth generation optometrist i don't know if you knew that uh, but i remember oh, I growing up back that far wow yeah, went, went cool. way back and um so i knew grandpa I didn't know great grandpa, but I knew grandpa and I grew up in the back of his office, uh, stacking up the boxes that came back from the labs. And in fact, we also, you know, learned to put rubber bands around them and cut up straws and make little, uh, little arrows that we would shoot at each other. <laughs> the, um, that's funny, but, uh, but I, the, what I've seen just in, in my lifetime has been huge. And what I've seen in the last five years, shoot, even the last two years, has been has been insane and crazy in the move to a lot of virtual headsets, virtual assistants. Uh, all the AI is going to change how we do everything, and I I think it's important that we stay on top of it. I also think it's important that you know groups and partners we work with like y'all uh, are staying on top of it. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's kind of an exciting time. You know, I'm I'm one that really kind of thrives on change and. Um, and uh, you and I were talking offline about kind of all this the stuff that I've been through in, in my career. And, and I, I, I kind of thrive on change. And so it, it's interesting right now, you know, one of the first ways I got involved in the state association was meaningful use, which, you know, now is way in our rearview mirror. But back in like 07, 08 was this big, scary thing. And then ICD-10, um, which is now, you know, not a big deal. It was a big, scary thing in 2014. And so I got involved in in optometry and advocacy uh, through uh, through kind of changes that were happening, big changes that were happening in the marketplace. And I've also worked with the um, AOA on their health information exchange committee. And and so it's just it's it's been interesting to see the changes that that have happened and that are happening and and. I think we really need to kind of embrace the change because a lot of the kind of resistance to change, unfortunately, it, it's going to happen whether we want it to or not. 
And when we resist it, somebody else is in charge of it and we tend to get locked out of it. But when we kind of embrace it and find ways to utilize it and find ways to make it help our business, uh, it just it it just makes business um, a lot easier. A hundred percent. And I think that uh, that we don't need to embrace um, we don't need to embrace all change. I think because not all change is is positive, but I like embracing the idea of change. Yes. And and welcoming the idea of change and the opportunity to get better. And certainly, there's been changes that we've made in, in, in my practice and in my life that, you know, in hindsight, I would have made a different change or made it oh, know, yeah. gone a different direction. But um, as, as you know, you're my good friend, Lori Sorensen says the, the definition of an expert is somebody who's made um, all the mistakes yep. and has learned from them. So I'm, I'm becoming more and more of an expert every day. But uh, absolutely. The, and unfortunately, the other definition of an expert, which isn't as accurate as uh, Lori's, who's one of my mentors, the other definition is someone who's traveled more than a hundred miles to lecture on the topic. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. And no, that's, nobody's that's, a prophet in their own home. That's, that's the dangerous expert. So, uh, yes. Um, and, uh, we should probably at some point have a discussion on here about, you know, h- how to, uh, to, to choose who you listen to at different conferences. Um, but, uh, and different advice, but that's a different topic. Well, the, the Cliff Notes version on that is when we get a question or when somebody asks us to settle a debate about billing or coding, can you do this, can you do that, uh, Joe and I usually go, well, here's what CMS says or here's what HHS says or here's what Novitas says or here's what Blue Cross Blue Shield Texas says and, and then you know list the policy, list a link and go, this is our opinion of what that means. And we, we try to be very clear about that. And that that's the main advice. Uh, it, it would be a fascinating uh, podcast to do, but that's the, the main piece of advice. Sorry about that. No, you're good. Uh, that's the main piece of advice is that um, we <clears throat> you want to make sure that whoever's giving you information is is backing that information up with a credible source. Mm-hmm. Yep, 100% agree. I usually uh, agree even simpler. If it if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Yes. And if the explanation we, is, we is longer that. than you wanted to listen to, that's probably the right one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, too funny. Um, well, Peter, this has been, been super helpful. I think that, uh, that in our world now, um, I don't know where it's like across the rest of the country, but I do know in Southern California, you know, finding good staff members that are are engaged and is is a challenge um i think there's a lot of good people out there there's just a lot of good opportunities for them as well so finding good people uh is is tough and we need to you know sometimes think outside the box and outsourcing our billing looking for a a third party to help us with revenue cycle management is certainly a very very uh, viable and important option to look at yeah it's uh, been a great conversation i really enjoyed it so likewise, so I uh, appreciate uh, you taking time to, uh, to come on and join. And it uh, sounds like some, some dogs in the back need a ball to get thrown to, so I'm going to let you get to them. Uh, but looking forward yeah, to uh, more conversations.